Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Before I get to this week's topic, uh, as you know, the Compliance Podcast Network is always on the lookout for new podcasts. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast but didn't know how? Well, if you've thought about it, please take a listen to this week's sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. In this episode, we take a look at a keynote speech, or rather keynote Q&A, that was presented last week at the ACFE National Conference. Matt interviewed Tyler Schultz, one of the whistleblowers in the Theranos case, and it was uh, a fascinating interview by Matt of Schultz about his experience while working at uh, Theranos and obviously Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Bawani. But Matt used that as a, a starting point for a blog post on open secrets. And so we really take a deep dive into the situations that many folks find themselves in at companies that everyone knows bribery and corruption is going on, as, as well as other nefarious activities such as sexual harassment, or for whatever reasons, they don't uh, report it or talk about it to management. It's a fascinating topic that every compliance practitioner needs to be aware of. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, backing in with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance and also the editor and founder of Radical Compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, the podcast where we take a deep dive, literally going into the compliance weeds to take up a topic. Today, Matt is going to talk to us about an interview he did last week at the ACFE National Conference of Tyler Schultz and really how that broadened or gave him pause to think about some broader concepts for uh, compliance and compliance practitioners. So, Matt, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, uh, welcome. And uh, you want to lay the table for us? Yeah, sure, Tom. So, um, Tyler Schultz, for those of you who may not know him, he was the whistleblower who really has become the public face of how the fraud at Theranos, the biotech blood testing company, how that was exposed. Um, so Schulz worked at Theranos for, I believe, eight or nine months in 2013, when he was probably all of about 22 or 23. Um, and then he was a biotech major in college, wound up working there, first got an internship, then he got hired. Um, quite quickly figured out that there was a lot of fraud and lies happening at Theranos, led first and foremost by their very charismatic female CEO, Elizabeth Holmes. Um, And ultimately, Tyler became the source for John Carreyrou, the Wall Street Journal reporter whose series of articles about Theranos eventually led to the downfall of the company. The company no longer exists. It was broken up in 2018 after the feds had figured out its blood testing technology did not work. Elizabeth Holmes is currently awaiting criminal trial, which has just been scheduled for next summer in 2020. 
Um, and apparently there is a great new documentary on HBO about the fall of Theranos where you can see Tyler giving an interview. But he was a guest speaker at ACFE, and I had the very good luck to be the interviewer with him up on stage in front of the whole audience where we did a Q&A interview, and I was the Q, and Tyler was the A, and that's, that was the setting there. But um, Tyler just he talked an awful lot about what is it like to realize you are working at a fraudulent company and then to decide to blow the whistle on that at great, enormous personal strain, I am sure. He's a great interview, um, but that was the, the the high level of what we were doing there. So, Matt, the um, first of all, if you've never heard Matt Kelly interview someone, you really should avail yourself of that. I saw him do it at Compliance Week numerous times, and uh, you were able to tease things out of people that uh, frankly stunned me. But uh, leaving your interview uh, techniques uh, aside that perhaps we could say for a later podcast, it really seemed to raise some other issues uh, for you, Matt, and how the compliance practitioner could really take this experience and learn uh, or at least uh, take some of the lessons that Schultz bumped into at Theranos and uh, look at your own company and your own reporting system. So you want to Talk to us about those. Well, you know, what really struck me as I was talking with Tyler is um, I asked him what was the conversation within the company, not him at the lower ranks up to the senior ranks, but him among the lower ranks with each other. What were they saying? Because so often we talk about corporate culture. And if you have not read the book John Kerry wrote about Theranos, it's called Bad Blood. You should read it immediately if you're a compliance executive because Tyler was not at all the only person who knew Theranos was crazy. And so I asked him, like, when you guys are all sitting around here, did you not just turn to each other and say, I can't be the only one who thinks this is all nuts, right? This, this whole company has to be crazy. What, like, what was that? That was my question to Tyler, and he paused for a second, and he said, you know, it really was kind of like an open secret. And that's the part where he continued to talk a bit about it, but I, my mind hung on those words and that phrase. It was an open secret because how often, compliance officers listening to this, you know, how often have you heard about some sort of corporate misconduct that's been happening, and you go back to try and investigate, well, who knew about it, and lo and behold, it turns out, Everyone knew about it. My first thought as Tyler was talking was uh, I thought of Harvey Weinstein, the media mogul who was really the face of the Me Too movement there because he had sexually assaulted so many women for so long. And who knew about it in Hollywood? Everybody for decades knew that Harvey Weinstein was doing this. Open secret. Or um, KPMG and Tom, we talked about this just the other week with their scandal of staffers, partners, audit junior staffers, cheating on CPE exams, providing answers to each other. And who knew about it? Everybody. Open secrets. So I was like, how? How on earth do we get these open secrets? What is this? And that's the sort of thing that should drive compliance officers up the wall. Because it, we are always talking about the need for a speak-up culture, but this was really more like there is a speak-next-to-you culture that is not going up. And that's the part that should drive compliance officers crazy. So I was thinking, and I wrote a post about this, more about what are some of the defining characteristics of an open-secret culture as opposed to a speak-up culture. 
Um, so I have a few ideas, but that's really, that was my big takeaway was, you know, yet again, open secrets at one of the biggest frauds we're ever going to see in our lifetimes. Theranos is going to be a case study for business schools for the next 40 years. And um, that's all that it boiled down to was just open secrets. So, Matt, um, I've read the book and, and I have to uh, uh, go ditto ditto on your commendation, uh, recommendation to read it. It's one of the, the uh, quickest, fastest and most enjoyable reads and terrifying reads I've had in quite some time. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that struck me uh, in reading that book, at least in the early part of the book, perhaps up to 2011, um, is the phrase fake it till you make it, yeah. which seems to be a big part of the Silicon Valley culture where you really are trying uh, truly innovative, truly out there, truly cutting edge things, and they may not work, they may not, they may fail multiple times, and you just keep trying until you make it. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Thomas Edison tried 116 different filaments before he found one that worked for the light bulb. So uh, simply because something doesn't work um, immediately doesn't mean it's a fraud. So was there really any of that, or did Tyler come in much later in the game when it really was a, a full fraud going on. Tyler came in in 2013 when, to the best of my recollection and understanding, the full fraud was going on. And I, you know, I, I am okay with trying and failing and failing often and failing fast and all these other cute Silicon Valley aphorisms about how failure is okay. But when faking it is the making it, which was the case at Theranos, certainly by the time. Tyler arrived, and then after that, if you're just lying to people and saying that the product works when it does not work, um, that is not you know, trying and failing. That is lying, and that's what was going on there. Um, so w- at one point that jumped out at me when I was asking Tyler how he started to blow the whistle, uh, and I think this is probably um, representative of many whistleblowers, is he took baby steps to blowing the whistle. And the first thing he did was he called some state regulators, I think in the state of New York, uh, where Theranos devices were now supposedly going to be eligible for state reimbursement because they were being used. And so he quietly called up the state regulators and said, if this is the true, you know, and he sketched out kind of like, I know a company, they're doing this, this, and this, and it's all bogus. Would you have any concerns? And I stopped him. I said, well, what happened when you called the state regulators? He says, I never heard back. And that, I think, is a big key point about why things are open secrets at companies, or uh, certainly it's a big whistleblower concern for compliance officers, is um, when a whistleblower is trying to speak up but somehow believes that nobody in the senior ranks is going to care. Now, in Tyler's case, he called a regulator. They never really followed up. They didn't care. Um, he saw many different uh, managers of his come and go, and one of the senior managers in his unit apparently got fired the first day he was there, and he watched her have a breakdown and like burst into tears in the parking lot. Um, so when you see people saying, you know, whatever, I don't really care, then you're not going to speak up as a whistleblower. And then what was really interesting was eventually... John Carreyrou had found Tyler through LinkedIn and had sent him some messages. I'm doing a story. I'd love to talk to you. Please talk to me. And he ignored Carreyrou and ignored him and ignored him. And finally, Tyler did respond to John Carreyrou. And I said, how'd that go? He says, oh, he was great. He worked with me all the time. 
I mean, they had to buy burner phones and cash and all this cloak and dagger stuff, but he said that John Carreyrou was very responsive to Tyler and basically like, you need the love and caring of whistleblowers. You need to show it. And if they feel like they, nobody cares, then it becomes an open secret. And that was what Tyler saw up until he bumped into the media. Now, of course, I am the media, so I'm all for it. If you have a big scandal, you want to call someone, I'll call you back, I promise. But for compliance officers, like that's the lesson. Whistleblowers have to get the sense that somebody somewhere there cares. That's one of the big lessons that uh, I drew from Tyler's talk. So Matt, one of the uh, primary things that I took away from Me Too and even Harvey Weinstein specifically was uh, speaking up is no longer the responsibility of the victim, the person who's harassed. Uh, it's the responsibility of the person who sees it. It's the person responsibility of the person who knows about it. It's the responsibility of the person who is in on the open secret. Uh, I saw your in your blog post, though, it seemed to me you went in a little bit different direction and almost really uh, structural components of a, of a speak up uh, and uh, speak up culture. And I was wondering if you could just detail the three points that you laid out. And, and I just interpret them almost as structural. Well, yeah. And, you know, so one of the points that I had outlined there was that, you know, employees really do need to feel like somebody somewhere will listen to them. If they want to speak up, somebody has to listen. That is the converse of speaking is listening. And if they don't have that sense, if there isn't that mechanism, um, if there isn't really even like a response, uh, I guess I'll say mechanism, you know, then that's going to work against you. I have seen studies, for example, that whistleblowers will try to reach out to a whistleblower hotline or a regulator or somebody else, but they'll try it twice. And if you don't respond to them on try number two, they'll assume nobody cares and move on. Maybe they'll take it to the media. Maybe they'll shotgun it on Twitter. Maybe they'll stop caring too and you have an open secret. But, you know, you have to respond like that. Um, and then second out of three, I think employees need to see that there is some locus of power in the organization that will actually respond to them, um, that can address their concerns. Uh, as I said, you know, what's the point of a whistleblower calling the hotline? And even frankly, what's the point of calling the whistleblower back if the chief compliance officer doesn't actually have any power to get anything done? If you're just a glorified taker of complaints, but you can't act on anything, then that doesn't do anybody any favors either. And people need to see that there is some sort of visible center of power that can get things done for good to counteract this center of power I see over here that is doing something wrong and something bad. And I want to throw my allegiance somewhere. I want to throw it in with the good. Most whistleblowers do want to see their companies succeed. Most employees want to see their companies succeed. But if they don't see that anybody can stand up to the bad managers, again, it gets to that why should I care? And suddenly you've got an open secret. Um, and then, you know, I think the third point I had was really that you do actually need to take some action. If, you know, you, the compliance officer, the legal investigator, outside counsel, the board, whoever ultimately is, wants to put their muscle behind doing the right thing and encouraging whistleblowers, they need to see that something happens. And the way I was kind of thinking about it, is that whistleblowing is almost like a partnership or a dance 
between the whistleblower and the compliance officer and the person who leads the dance, that is going to shift back and forth. The whistleblower is going to start it first. When they blow the whistle, they're the one who gets to lead. Compliance officers eventually are going to take over, and then you're going to be the one who leads, as you ask maybe for a little bit more, or could you come in and talk to me? Could you put your name to this if we're going to file a formal complaint or something like that? Um, but compliance officers need first to think about how do you get that partnership personally when you get a call from a whistleblower? How do you get them to trust you? And you need to think about how a partnership like that works. I would say systematically or systemically that the organization shows whistleblowers that it is a reliable partner. If you show up with a complaint, you call me, you email me, you whatever, like we're going to listen. We're going to have the power to do something. And then we're actually going to do it because that's what Tyler first tried to do when he called regulators and they didn't really do any of that. And then finally he responded to John Carreyrou and Carreyrou did do those things and lo and behold, Carreyrou won a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, Tyler's being lauded for the amazing amount of you know, personal spine that he showed to persevere and uh, Theranos went down the tubes, which it deserved. So that's the sort of dynamic that you have to think about. How you have you to concluded your post by contrasting that with a... Uh a very interesting and insightful FCPA enforcement action earlier this year. You want to kind of wrap it up by telling us about that? Yeah, so that part about having some other locus of power um, that could offset Elizabeth Holmes and her fraudulent impulses as the CEO, where would that reside? And that got me thinking about Cognizant Technologies, which Tom, you and I again talked about this earlier this year, Cognizant had a very bad FCPA issue where the company president and I think the general counsel were in on the bribe, and it was a big bribe. Like, there was no two ways about it. Senior management was involved in an FCPA action that stunk to high heaven. But uh, the Justice Department let them off with a relatively lenient sentence. Um, I think they got a $25 million penalty and no prosecution at all. Why? Because the board acted so swiftly once it found out we have a big FCPA issue, you know, the CEO or the company president are involved, but who could counteract a corrupt CEO? A board could, could offset that. So there is that locus of power that is an alternative to this runaway CEO who was violating the FCPA. Now at Theranos, we had a runaway CEO who was, you know, concocting statements out of whole cloth that were not at all true about their product, but they did not have an outside independent locus of power because that board was just a bunch of old white dudes who saw a pretty blonde, you know, bat her eyelashes at them and they just rolled over for her and didn't pay one whit of attention to good corporate governance. Look what happened to them. Um, so really there are some very pragmatic issues about where's the power that resides to offset corruption in your organization. Do others see it? Do others see that position of power act? If they do, then they'll see that's my ally and I as a whistleblower, I'm gonna go to you and bring my concerns. Then you're in good shape. We did not have that at Theranos. Tyler Schultz found that out the hard way and so we are all owe him a debt for having the guts and the, the backbone to stand up and call Theranos out. So that finally he could put that for well, Matt, that seems like a down, great like place to uh, wrap up this episode. I look forward to seeing what we come up with for next week. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. 
As we recorded this on July 1, I hope you will have a safe, prosperous, and very joyous 4th of July. And uh, think about the uh, founding of our country and the freedoms that we enjoy. Matt and I will be back with another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds in two weeks. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network and now a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.